Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, I don't understand why the Chiefs keep putting media availabilities on Tuesday and Thursday. Don't, don't they know that we have an editor's show to do? They don't really care. That's the thing. No, they don't pretty, care. Either pretty, that or it's a big conspiracy. Pretty clearly, a, a, a pretty clear act of disrespect by the yeah. chiefs and and look we don't appreciate that we're covering your team to and fro every detail no it's okay we, what are we gonna do this is a very odd year it's training camp they have to have uh, these media availabilities when they can the next one right now is scheduled for sunday so we should be in the clear to have two arrowhead pride editor shows next week we have to work on sunday nobody right. told me anything about this more yes. disrespect Yes, and and for those Chiefs fans who wouldn't get offended by a religious joke, it's God's day, which means it's Mahomes' day uh, in Chiefs' kingdom. Want to get to the breaking news? <laughs> Want to get to the breaking news uh, that we got on on Thursday, and that is Lucas Niang, the rookie offensive lineman for the Chiefs. He has opted out. Uh, what this means, John, from a contract standpoint, and you've been on the pulse of this, so correct me if I'm wrong. The Chiefs get a bonus year of Niang and what was probably going to be, given his hip surgery in October of 19, a redshirt year for him anyway. Essentially, that's right. I mean, it isn't really a bonus year. They're going to get the same number of years. They're just going right. to be a year down the road. If it's a bonus year, it's only in the sense that he'll have a year where he can uh, go to meetings, uh, participate in things, learn the system and rehab from the injury that he suffered in college. In that sense, it is a bonus. It also gives the Chiefs a little bit of additional cap room. They're now uh, between $8.3 and $8.6 million in cap space based on the calculations we make on our roster page on arrowheadpride.com. Right. I, I think I mean more so from they get a bonus year in the sense that Laurent Duvenet Tardif, he had one of his years told while he was transitioning to what would be American football, which is slightly different rules along the line of scrimmage. And so now if you weren't going to start Niang anyway, what that does equate to is a bonus year. I will say this caught me a little bit by surprise because of the way that Lucas Niang was speaking. Anytime you asked him about his injury, especially draft weekend or even recently, he didn't really want to talk about it. He said he was ready to go. So I wonder if this was just something where it, it came up. I know Nate Taylor of The Athletic is reporting that he didn't want to risk it with his family members, but bottom line winds up being that Lucas Niang will opt out of 2020. I went back and I dug up what Chiefs general manager Brett Beach said at the time that the Chiefs drafted Lucas Niang. Lucas Niang, uh, he, he's a guy that um, 
I mean, shoot, just two years ago, he was asked to block bo- both Bosa and, and um, Chase Young did a pretty good job. Guy that can play some guard too. So, you know, we think he can come in right away and, and, and the kid is smart and, and challenge a guard and then potentially work and develop uh, at both right and left tackles. Our own Ron Kopp noted that Niang really, when he was drafted, served as both a short-term and a long-term solution for the Chiefs. And what he meant by that was maybe he could compete at a left guard or a right guard position this year. And then it gets interesting with Eric Fisher next year with his cap number. So a lot of folks think that potentially Lucas Niang, the 21-year-old, could be a solution at left tackle when Eric Fisher gets a little bit more expensive. And when you look at the contracts the Chiefs have dealt out this year, you combine that with the fact that coronavirus is this new world we live in and, and the cap stands to maybe be even a little bit lower next year. You're wondering if it's becoming more and more likely that Niang is eyed by the Chiefs to be that left tackle in 2021. I think that's fair. I think that we're going to see something happen with Fisher next year, whether it's a contract restructure or uh, an outright change to put someone like Niang in there. I will say that I'm glad that the Chiefs uh, have moved quickly to deal with these problems. I'm really happy that they got Mike Remmers in free agency before all of this happened. That turned out to be a very good move for the Chiefs without knowing what was coming. And they moved quickly to bring in Kalechi Osamali, who I think will be a, a good player on the Chiefs line. I'm looking at Eric Fisher's number next year for what would be 2021, and it's 14-6. It uh, looks like, according to Spotrack, Spotrack, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but uh, 11.5 would be the savings there. Uh, right. So you wonder if he, like Laurent Duvenet Tardif, before he opted out, winds up taking a restructured to stay in Kansas City. I think a lot of these Chiefs are going to have to face that at a certain point. Well, we're, we can't afford you anymore. Do you want to stay with, hopefully, at that point, the two-time world champions? Or do you want to move on? Test the waters in the free agency market. You got your championship or championships in Kansas City. Maybe you move on to the next team and get paid elsewhere. Uh, so we'll see how that shapes out. What we know right now is Niang will not play uh, in 2020. We'll talk a little bit more about the offensive line a little bit later. We have some sound from new chief Kalechi Osemele. I want to get to the big takeaways uh, from uh, the sound from the other day. And we got to hear from Andy Reid, Kalechi, as I just spoke about, DeAndre Washington, Charverius Ward, and Frank Clark. So there were takeaways that that we got in in this sound. And the first one has to do with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. We mentioned the Yang opting out. We mentioned LDT opting out. The other obvious opt-out here for the Kansas City Chiefs is Damian Williams, who, again, will be aiding his mother in California as she undergoes treatment for cancer. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire, another rookie here, he seems to be the guy, but you always want to confirm it with the head coach. So I asked Andy Reid about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. We're going we're gonna to get Clyde ready to play, um, and he's going to get ready to play. Um, but we're lucky that we have a pretty good nucleus of running backs there. So we're not uh, – we're not in uh, – listen, it would be great to have Damien. But it, it, on the other hand, I, I think if you have to pick a position where you've got some talent, uh, that's, a, that's a position that we can work with. And, um, and we're in a pretty good position. I think Brett and his guys did a great job with that kind of stockpile in that position. But, but for your answer with Clyde, we're going to get him ready to, ready to play. And he's, he's wired that way. The more you guys get to know him and ladies, uh, the more you get to know him, uh, I think you understand his maturity and, and uh, kind of how he's wired. 
This is Chiefs head coach Andy Reid. So I want to emphasize here that Andy Reid, in covering him now for, what, six or seven years, he's not going to go above and beyond about a rookie in, in such a way that it blows the head up of said rookie. But I think he said enough in this statement, John, that makes you think, okay, Clyde is certainly going to be the guy. There isn't a question about that. Always a fine line to walk, isn't it? To give confidence, express public confidence in a player and not make his head get so large that he's a problem in the locker room. And Reed has always been very good at that. He's willing to express confidence in his players, but he never says anything that would put a chip on their shoulder and create a problem. And later on in this interview, it was Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest who asked further about Clyde and Andy Reid just commented about how sharp he is. And from everything that I'm hearing, the rumblings that you hear as training camp begins, this is a guy that walks with a lot of confidence and it isn't necessarily that cocky confidence. I, I just think he realizes he's the first round pick. He realizes the opportunity he has now. He was going to have a big opportunity before. I thought that he might be the RB1 even week one when Damian Williams was still opted in. But now especially given the fact that you were the number 32 overall pick. You weren't picked at that number to sit a year out. I mean, it's not a, it's not mm -hmm. a thing where they were going to give him in any kind of buffer year. I think this is the, again, prototype type of running back the Chiefs were looking for in Andy Reid's system. Well, the kind of running back they thought they might have gotten last year with LaShawn McCoy, honestly. He just was a little too long in the tooth and uh, didn't play at the same level they expected him to. This is exactly why they went after him immediately after cut down last year is that he's that kind of player for Andy Reid. LaShawn McCoy is that type of case where Andy Reid just didn't really want to say anything poor about his guys, but I think they brought him in. They realized, okay, he's not the same player we might have thought he was at one point. I know that there were some ball-carrying issues. He didn't exactly carry the football like you would maybe a baby, for example. He, he was a little bit loose there, and so... <laughs> Uh, he ends up one and done. The Chiefs barely used him in the playoffs when they probably could have to some extent. And right now he is in Tampa Bay. He has joined Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So as, as we've said on this podcast several times, the Chiefs will see him in the Super Bowl. We have a running back room right no, now. So you you said that. Let's, let's be clear about that. <laughs> we, we have a running back room now. I'm going to read it off to you. It's Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Darwin Thompson, the sixth rounder from last year. You have Daryl Williams, the undrafted free agent from 18. You have Elijah McGuire, another undrafted guy. And then you have DeAndre Washington, who the Chiefs brought over from the Oakland Raiders this offseason. DeAndre Washington, he spoke to the media the other day. And my point to DeAndre was, you got to be looking at this offseason and going, Wow. I, it really came back to me here because on draft night, all of a sudden, instead of being RB2, you're RB3 because you mm -hmm. think Damien, you think Clyde, and you right. think, okay, then it's me. But then Damien opts out, and then here you are. You're probably going to have some real opportunity to get your hands on the football. Yeah, man. I think, uh, you know, prior to making my decision, I felt like uh, coming to Kansas City was a great opportunity for me. Um, you know, even before uh, they drafted, um, you know, the, the back uh, Clyde, um, I, I think he's a great back, but you know how this – as game goes, but, uh, you know, guys are going to roll, you know, it's a long season, so I feel like, you know, it's definitely a lot of opportunities for, you know, uh, everybody to eat, man. I think with uh, Coach Reed, his offense, he he's shown over plenty of time that he knows how to get his playmakers the ball, so I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, making my plays when I get my opportunities. 
Washington and Texas Tech with Patrick Mahomes. This was his last major productive year back in 2015. He had nearly 1,900 yards from scrimmage, including nearly 400 receiving yards. I think the Chiefs look at him as the same type of back as they do a Clyde, but obviously Clyde is a little bit younger. It seems like they're a little bit higher on him for obvious reasons. I do want to say this about DeAndre. This is a guy who came into the league in 2016 and has just had the unfortunate luck of being behind Latavius Murray, who's a really good back, Doug Martin, uh, Marshawn Lynch. And then last year, unfortunately for him, he, he gets Josh Jacobs. So he comes to the Chiefs, probably sees Damian Williams and the fact that he can't stay on the field during the regular season and goes, right. mm-hmm. this, I'm going to be back with my boy. This is my grand opportunity. If Damian Williams for what would be like the fifth or sixth year in a row can't stay healthy, which is almost uh, common place at this point i'm gonna have some real opportunity here and then boom it ends up being clyde again the good thing is he has experience from last year being behind a rookie running back and one of the things that i like that he said the other day john was the fact that if the starter is rolling if he's hot he wants him to stay in the game deandre washington really comes off to me is this this ultra team guy which is i think what you want in the rb2 position and it's an interesting position i know i know there's some chiefs fans freaking out that i'm going to say this but you never know what's going to happen injury wise there so right. i think he's he's taking the right approach i agree and uh, you know it was just a year ago at this time that we were talking about all the running backs the chiefs had in the room you know they'd just taken on carlos hyde on a free agent contract is, well, what do we need Carlos Hyde for? You know, he's not a guy that would fit into Andy Reid's offense. And we were like, why do we need all these running backs? Aren't there other places where they need help? Well, as it turned out, they did need those running backs because several of them got hurt during the course of the year. You know, people like to argue that you shouldn't take a running back in the first round because they're a diamond a dozen. Well, I don't think that's really true. What's really true is that running backs get hurt a lot. So you need to have plenty of depth at that position. And this is why DeAndre Washington has a genuine opportunity to perform with the Chiefs is because you just never know how these things are going to play out. I think what's been interesting, and I would make fun of Brett Veach before last season when every running back got hurt, but it would <laughs> it would seem like a clown car at training camp with all the running backs that they had on right. the roster just trying to see these guys. But you look at this this group now, Edwards, Alaire, Thompson, Williams, Washington, McGuire. That's some talent there. I know not mm-hmm. a lot of people know about McGuire. I think he's got a little bit of upside. We'll see how that develops. But I think what you end up, again, for the second season in a row, and, and we know how, how proactive Brett Veach is with these things, I think one of these guys is going to be moved. It might not be for a lot. It might not be for an offensive lineman like we saw the hide for Rankin trade or something mm-hmm. like that. But maybe a late round pick where you're able to get another asset because this is a really strong room. I think Reed uh, said it perfectly in the sense of if you're going to have an opt out, this is one of the positions where you feel comfortable as a fan and, and someone <laughs> yeah. who coaches the Kansas City Chiefs because they have so much talent in that room. They do. And that's been a fortunate thing for them in the case uh, of Damian Williams deciding to opt out is at least they had depth there. And as it turned out, we had more depth at offensive line than we really probably realized. And it became crystal clear when the doctor chose to opt out of the season. So, uh, yeah, I agree. And this is the hallmark of a championship team, which the Chiefs are, is that you've got depth. And once you have that depth, it's much easier to continue to maintain that depth. And that's what we're seeing the Chiefs do. 
Well, there you have it. We're going to continue on after the break with some takeaways. John did a nice segue there with the offensive line depth. Last year, the offensive line depth was Cam Irving. They're in a much better place <laughs> right now. We'll talk about that more on the Hourhead Pride Editor's Show. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, the future of work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we're continuing along with some takeaways from the Chiefs' media availability the other day. And one player that spoke was Kalechi Osimile. I'm still getting used to pronouncing that name correctly, so if, if I got it wrong there, I apologize. But he did speak to the media. This is, from what I've been hearing, a massive player when you're next to this guy. And I won't have the opportunity anytime soon because of COVID. But when you're next to this guy, he apparently is the type of guy where you say, okay, that is a football player, 6'5", 310 pounds. Uh, And so one of the questions I have is now as you're shuffling this offensive line, you're a guy who has had a lot of experience at left guard. What do you know about maybe where the Chiefs will play you considering the right guard position is open as well? Yeah, I'm pretty open. Um, When I came into this game, I was a a tackle. I never played guard in my life. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty open. They've kind of just said I'm going to be in the rotation. I'm learning the playbook right now, obviously. Um, there's a lot of wrinkles to learn, but in any way, uh, shape, or form, I'm able to help. Um, I'm excited to just do my part, you know, and help a, a franchise that knows how to win continue to do so. Andy Reid wasn't ready to offer any kind of indication along the offensive line when it came to assembly. I sure like him, and I, I we had him in the Pro Bowl one year, and uh, I liked him there as a guy, and and uh, I'm glad he's with us. So it builds a depth for us and competition. And Herbie, as you know, that generates a good offensive line player or any position play when you have that kind of competition. So Andy Heck works all those guys in. So he keeps a rotation going and, and uh, they're all kind of interchangeable there, they, uh, the way Andy does it. So Assembly's got a good story. I mean, you you look at, at at how he came into the league. He won a Super Bowl as a rookie a long time ago when the Baltimore Ravens were able to beat the San Francisco 49ers. He was starting as a rookie at left guard at that point. He's played a lot of left guard. Uh, he ended up in Oakland and then spent a year with the New York Jets. And it got a little bit messy in New York where – Osemele really felt that he wanted to have surgery for his torn labrum. The Jets doctors were outright refusing it. They didn't agree. And so there was back and forth. Uh, he filed a grievance against the New York Jets. Again, it, it just got a little bit messy. He ends up having the surgery. The other day, he said that he feels good. He's benching. I think he said 350 pounds again. He's fresh. And what the Chiefs ran into here with this I think LDT opting out and having a, some money to play with and, and needing some of that depth is 
they ended up with a two-time Pro Bowler, a one-time All-Pro at that left guard position. I, I almost think that we can write Osimile in, and John, you can weigh in on this as well. I think we could write Osimile in with ink at the left guard position. I think there's a strong argument to be made there, but I also think that Andy Reid was telling us that Andy Heck likes to move these guys around and put the best five guys out there. Um, We've seen this happen again and again and again, where the Chiefs offensive line is very difficult to predict because they keep playing around with it and trying to figure out what grouping works the best. A lot of tinkering. Tinkering is a good word for what they do. Right. I mean, even in the regular season last year, at the end of the year, uh, you know, Andrew Wiley was finally healthy, but they left Wisniewski in there going into the postseason because they had found a good group of guys that worked well together. So that's what's going to be the key for the Chiefs is what combination of guys mesh the best. And that'll be very difficult for us to see because they're doing all that you know, in their discussions among themselves and seeing what they do on the practice field. So I agree with you. I think that's the most likely prospect that Osemele will step in at left guard. Maybe Wiley gets a chance to play at right guard uh, where he actually played pretty well in his limited snaps there. Um, And of course, we'll see competition from these other players that the Chiefs have. But, uh, you know, I think it'd be a mistake to say, yeah, we know what this offensive line is going to look like. Andy Reid correctly, I think, views the offensive line as a machine, though. And so I think that's why you saw Wisniewski. He looked at it and said, you know what? This machine's operating fine. And right. although Wiley might be as good, he may even be a little bit better than Wisniewski. We're not going to tinker with that as we're approaching what could be the first Super Bowl for this franchise in 50 years. I look at the offensive line, and I think, again, I think those four positions are in. I think you have left tackle in Eric Fisher, left guard Osimile, center would be Austin Ryder, returner from next year. I know there's some undrafted free agents that might push. I think in a a different year when you're allowed to play preseason games, there's a better chance of someone emerging. I don't think that's happening anymore. And then your right tackle is Mitch Schwartz. Therese Paler, well-respected in Kansas City, Yahoo Sports. He penciled in Wiley to be that right guard position. For me, I think Rankin's got a chance. Yeah. Less of a chance for me is Allegretti. I think the right guard will be Mike Remmers. I just don't see a guy who's gotten more than 10, 12, I think it's been maybe even more than 12 starts a year for the past five years coming to Kansas City and riding the bench. And not to say that I, I think there's a problem with Wiley or Rankin. I actually think they're really good players and, and prospects. I just think they brought Remmers here for a reason. I could be wrong. I think that might be one of the most competitive positions to watch in the entire team because you have really three good candidates there. Right. And a big part of that too is going to be, well, how do they play with Mitch Schwartz? You know, Mitch Schwartz uh, has had uh, the fortune to only have to really deal with LDT. Now, like Fisher has done every year, that, that isn't talked about enough either, by the way, the fact that yeah. Fisher has to play with a different left guard every year of his career. But uh, Mitch Schwartz, since he came, has been playing with LDT. So this will be a little bit of an adjustment for him. I understand LDT has gone through some injuries, but at the same time, now you're looking for a guy for the entire season. How will he play with Mitch Schwartz? And so Remmers is my pick. You're, you're going with Wiley, John? I think that's the best possibility because I think they're going to want to keep these young guys running through the line. You want to, if you're going to be a a Super Bowl contender for a long time, you need to focus on young players. 
However, uh, I agree with you that they brought Mike Remmers in for a reason. I might disagree with you about what that reason is. I don't think it's to be a starter. I think it's to be a quality backup that they can depend upon, which they did not have at swing tackle last year, and it cost them in a couple of places. The nerd squad is especially mean to Cam Irving, especially Kent. <laughs> the one positive that you have in all of this and, and that you know is that your depth is now the losers of this battle, and that you feel right. a lot more comfortable there than you did last year when you had Cam Irving backing up onto the foot of Patrick Mahomes. I, I thought this was fun, and I, I want to hit this, and, and I should note this too, John, and I, I should have at the beginning of this. You can listen to the full press conferences we have right on the podcast channel uh, from the podium from Tuesday. But I thought this was one of the funnier and lighthearted moments where at the end of the day, Coleccio Simile is just all of us. I was actually at the park with my girlfriend and got the call. Uh, it was somebody's birthday party. Um, so I kind of like had to walk somewhere and get somewhere quiet. Um, and I was pretty excited. I was fired up. I mean, obviously, like the first thing I thought of uh, was playing with moms. And then I actually uh, accidentally leaked his phone number uh, because I, uh, I, like, I, you know, I had like the, the Instagram whatever I did a video and I had his number out there and I had to like take it down real quick but I was so excited I didn't even think about it um yeah like I was pretty hyped my agent called me um you know and you know instantly the first thing I thought about was this is a really good team um we got a chance to win a championship um you know I haven't won one and I think it's been eight seasons uh since my rookie year uh so I thought immediately like this would be a beautiful way to you know kind of uh, cap off uh, long NFL careers. Poor Pat, man. Him and his beautiful girlfriend, Brittany, can't catch a break. First, their address is out there. <laughs> Osimile now with the phone number. But yeah, he was so excited. And, and what it was interesting for me there is, like myself, Osimile is a 31-year-old and he is getting giddy at being able to play with this 24-year-old phenom. And I just thought that that was an interesting little part to why he was so happy to come to Kansas City. I mean, people are just very, very juiced up to play with Patrick Mahomes. I just love that at this point of the season, at this point of the year, the Chiefs are able to get a guy who says things like, well, it's been eight years since I won a championship. I mean, it's not that often that you're able to get a guy who's right. got a Super Bowl ring to get on your team at this point in the year. So uh, I'm very happy that this worked out the way it did. And I've, I I think we're going to see a lot of good things from Osemele. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I I didn't really know a ton about him, admittedly, at first. Right. But I, as, as I read more on this guy and, and you saw the pedigree, I mean, you're not just talking about the Pro Bowl. You, I mean, this is a former All-Pro. Granted, it was a few years ago. But to get that player this late in the game, I think, is part of the Mahomes advantage, the Kansas City advantage sure. of what they're yeah. building, the dynasty talk. You could You could clearly hear that he bought right into it. And in the fact that he wants this to be a closing to the NFL career that he's having, he has eyes on a longer contract than Kansas City. He only signed a one-year deal, but if he's talking about this as an end to, I mean, he's only 31. I don't, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for him. I don't know him that well yet, but I don't get the feeling that he's retiring anytime soon. So I think he has his eyes on this year going well, and maybe he's the left guard of the future if they can come to an agreement uh, next year in, in Kansas City. Uh, last sound I want to highlight from the media opportunity the other day was Trevarius Ward. 
And Traverius Ward is an interesting player. We've noted, again, on the AP Lab, we didn't love the tape that we saw from him down the stretch, but he has his eyes on this year being uh, a lot better. You'll hear my voice. I had a follow-up question that I thought was fitting. Big words from Traverius Ward the other day. Honestly, I feel like I can be one of the best young corners in the game. As long as I just keep believing in myself and having confidence in myself out the field and on the field, I mean... The sky's the limit for me, so I feel like I'm going to be one of the best young corners in the game this season. I'm going to earn my respect this year. You mentioned you want to be one of uh, the best young cornerbacks in the game, and I, I just was curious, in, my, in your mind, what does that look like? What does that mean? Like, what do you foresee in someone who would be considered that? What, what type of traits? Uh, just going out there, taking on the best receiver every week, um, not getting burned, not giving up touchdowns, um, challenging every throw, um, catching interceptions, forcing turnovers, all of that. Like, just being a big dog, being a leader, being a leader in the cornerback room in the secondary, because I know Breeze is not going to be around the first four games, so I know I got to step up my leadership. So it's just, it's just that, man. I just got to be a leader, just, just be a top dog. He dropped a nugget there at the end that Bashad Breland will be facing a suspension. We knew that. Traverius Ward said four games. Chiefs PR reached out and further clarified that that's not official, but there is an understanding right here that Breland is missing a chunk of the beginning of the year because it wasn't only the one incident. Uh, there were two incidents there. That's for another show. We don't have to talk about that. We've already addressed that. But here you have a situation in the cornerback room where you got Charvarius Ward, you have Rashad Fenton, um, Antonio Hamilton is another option. But you, you say those names, you really only name that you have there that you feel okay, good maybe about is Ward. And so mm-hmm. I, I think you like what you hear from Ward. And, and John, you hear a little bit of Tyron Matthew in what his words are. And that's just, I think, goes back to that leadership that Matthew provides. Right. Well, he's seen somebody who knows how to do it. And now he knows that that onus is upon him, that it's his job now to lead the cornerbacks. He's seen what happens now when a player like Tyron is in there and really providing an example to other players. And this is the the underrated aspect of leadership, actually, is how it becomes contagious with other players on the team. I also think that, um, you know, Ward has been a fun guy to hate because his expectations were so low to begin with. You know, this is a guy who was uh, an undrafted free agent, if I remember correctly, and we got him uh, at the signing deadline because by jettisoning a player we didn't want, Nobody gave him any chance to be successful. And the Nerd Squad folks have properly mentioned that he has uh, deficiencies in his play, stiff hips, etc. But what we didn't know is he's half blind. He's had his <laughs> eyes fixed. That's a good nugget. Yeah, you know, so uh, I have every reason to think that we're going to see more out of Ward this season than we have in the past. I'm very excited to see what he can do. I'm a big Hamilton guy. I think he's going to have a, his first opportunity, similar in a sense to DeAndre, except I think Hamilton's going to have his very first real opportunity to maybe be a contributor uh, early on. And so yeah. I, I'm eager to see what these guys can do. I think Matthew and the return of Thornhill, I mean, Thornhill is on PUP. We should note that, but I think the expectation is he should be available at the beginning of the regular season. Again, the PUP list is just something that is a detail. As you're working back, you don't have to be on the actual roster. Keep these guys in the list until they can practice. So we know at the beginning of camp, at least, Thornhill unable to practice. Back to the ward point for a second. I just think back to, I believe it was 2000. What eighteen, where Tarverius Ward was thrown into the mix all of a mm-hmm. sudden. Yeah. 
the last two games of the season where you, you turn your head and then all of a sudden, I believe instead of Ron Parker and Orlando Skandrick, uh, Charvarius Ward and maybe it was Tremont Smith or Kendall Fuller was thrown into the mix. And at the time, you're like, well, what is Andy Reid and, and Bob Sutton? Remember that name? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Who? Who? But and it's such old news. I mean, th- there's no <laughs> older news in Kansas City at this point than Bob Sutton. But yeah, Ward came in and and Mick Schaefer of 41 Action News brought this up the other day on one of our hits. Ward would have been the hero of the AFC title game had it not been for D Ford. It was Traverius Ward who caught that football. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that is a a forgotten part of his career that really I think would have been an outstanding way to end really that first chunk of games. For Ward, so I, I, I think he's got the right attitude. I, you wish him the absolute best as they begin this very, very unique season. And it's good that he has that attitude because, again, with the Breland stuff, you're going to need Ward to play like that lockdown mm-hmm. cornerback that he's describing. Right. And, and I'm, let's say I would say that I'm uh, hopeful that that's what's going to happen. He's surprised us all the way through. And you make a really good point about that AFC championship game. We've completely forgotten that he would have been the hero of that game. And I think his uh, expectations might be a lot different if D Ford hadn't been offside. If only if if only if his vision had been better, maybe D Ford wouldn't have been offside. He would have seen him, <laughs> "Hey D, you're offside. Back up." Yeah, but didn't didn't work out that way. Man, I can't believe the curse words we've said on this podcast. Bob Sutton and D Ford. I, I, we have, <laughs> we have to really do a better job next week of not cursing on this thing. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about this Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen throw off and the best Chiefs thing I heard all week as we blaze into the weekend. This is the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we're wrapping things off. John, you were kind enough to take this, what would maybe be considered a throwaway story for us on Thursday at Arrowhead Pride. (laughs) Yeah, I I just ran into that one by accident. Um, What's going on with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen? Well, this started back around the Super Bowl when uh, Josh Allen, uh, I think it was appearing on Barstool Sports, perhaps, uh, challenged Patrick Mahomes to a throw-off, a throwing challenge to see who could throw the ball farther. And, um, of course, Patrick Mahomes was busy at that time. There was a, a game the next day. This all happened actually the day before the Super Bowl. So we didn't hear much about it until April. And then Mahomes was willing to say, yeah, Josh Allen is really good. You know, this would be, this would be a great thing for us to do is see who could throw it farther. But he was quick to say, yeah, I don't, I've never seen anybody who can throw it as far as I can, which is, which is interesting because that would normally be uh, seen as somebody uh, trying to make themselves more than they are. But in Mahomes' case, it's like he's just speaking the truth. But anyway, um, they had a plan, apparently, in the summertime to get together and do this throw-off. But obviously, the pandemic played a role in keeping that from happening. And uh, just yesterday, apparently, Josh Allen spoke about it on NFL Network, and it's turned up on the news and Kansas City television. And uh, so now we're talking about it again, whether they'll be able to pull this off during the pandemic when things are all fouled up is another question, but they still want to do it. And now there's odds on which one will win and what the over under is. It's, it's crazy. I, I think you'd be crazy to bet against Mahomes in this throw off yeah. thing. I understand why Josh Allen is eager to do this, but I caution him because (laughs) 
here's the problem. This is going to be the blip, or this is going to be a blip on a long and illustrious career for Patrick Mahomes. What Josh Allen is setting himself up to be is like the Gary Payton in the documentary with Jordan, where Jordan is laughing at at Payton, who would be the, the Allen in the situation. Like This could end up being the highlight of his career in a bad way, where... Yeah. Like Mark Sanchez, when you think about his playing career, what do you think about? The butt fumble. The butt fumble. Like, yeah. I think this could be the butt fumble moment of Allen. Like, what are you known for? What was your NFL career known for? And granted, Allen's one of the better quarterbacks the Buffalo Bills have had in a, a while. Sure. But if you, you never win, if you're never able to get over that hump, let's say you, you lose this throw off and you're embarrassed by Mahomes and then you lose to... The Patriots, even after they, they have to replace Tom Brady, and you're not able to get over that hump. I mean, a lot of people look at the Buffalo Bills as the favorite in that division. All of a sudden, you, you get those questions again. You did this dumb throw-off while the Chiefs are almost certainly going to be on a playoff run. I Just play football, Josh, and, and win a couple games. I, I don't know if it's the right career move. And that's all I'll say. I, I, again, we are biased here on the Arrowhead pride podcast, but at the same time, we are, I think you're looking at a, yes, I think you're looking, (laughs) I think you're looking at a Gary Payton situation. That's all I'll say that. All right. I want to close this thing off with the best chiefs thing I heard all week. And you have to love this moment as a chiefs fan, Frank Clark talking about Chris Jones. When you start asking questions about me and Chris, I get kind of, I get, um, I get, I get a nice smile coming from my face, I guess, because that's my dog. You know, I'm so happy he got paid and stuff. He was able to come back, you know, with all those type of things. But just so happy, man. And, um, you know, with Chris, you know, he's a smart player. You know, he's so fun to be around, you know, off the field and even on the field, but he's such a smart player. And he seems like he just gets better and better. You know, I remember watching film on Chris when, you know, I was a younger player, probably, what, three or whatever, and he was he just a year behind me, really. And, um watching him, and I'm like, wow, who's this young guy? You know what I mean? You're a beast. And, uh, you know, finally getting the chance to get out here, get um, acclimated with the system and to be able to play with him. You know, um, last year was just – it was great. And, now, you know, us, we talk all the time, and uh, we look at each other and we understand, you know, what's asked of us. We understand the type of pressure that, that's put on players like us. But, um, you know, we embrace it too. You know, it's all fun. It's fun. Like I tell him, you know, have fun with it. You know, don't let it stress you out too much. And, uh he tell me the same, like, we're going to be the best, you know, um, two defensive linemen ever to play the game together. And that's one of the things we always talk about, you know. we got, you know, a few years to be something great. Frank Clark isn't going to want me to say this, but at the beginning there, he he was about to say that he, he cries when he thinks about Chris Jones. He didn't want any, and he corrected himself. <laughs> There's I no think, crying in football. What are you talking about? I just think for these two guys to have the relationship they have after the situation the Kansas City Chiefs present yeah. to them, and I know Brett Veach is praised and, and rightfully so, but he put them in a tough little predicament yeah. there where you pay the outsiders in Matthew and Clark, mm-hmm. and Chris Jones has to just wear it for a mm-hmm. year, knowing that your franchise, who drafted you, doesn't want to pay you what you believe you're worth. And for Chris Jones to come in there and Frank Clark to handle it the way they did, Brett Veach has noted that that wasn't an easy thing for anybody to deal with and do. And now it sounds like they're the two best of friends and they're ready to rival the San Francisco 49ers and Los Angeles Rams front seven for being one of the better tandems in the league. I think what you're starting to see is the Chiefs defense 
coming into their own in a sense that this is looked at as an offensive team, but we, we can be pretty good too. And you start to think of history that way with the, the 85 Bears and the 72 Dolphins. And, and I'm not going to predict the Chiefs to go undefeated again because I did last year and I was incorrect. But if they can <laughs> both be top five teams, I mean, you could be looking at one of mm. the historical years in the National Football League. Unfortunately, it could be one of those terrible situations in the course of history where the Chiefs go on this really incredible run in 2020. And a lot of people will look back and say, yeah, half the league wasn't playing. I think we had our 61st. Niang was the 61st player playing today. So again, a long story short with this thing, I, I just think that's why it's the best Chiefs thing I heard all week because of the way they were able to handle that tough situation. You know, it occurs to me sitting here listening to you talk about this, that this is something that most of us really don't have any clue about. Most of us go to our jobs we think we know what the people working next to us make, but it's an unwritten thing. You don't find out what your coworkers make because you know what happens when you do, that it ends up being uh, causing resentments and difficulties between employees. So uh, that's not the case for an NFL player. Everybody knows how much money they make, what right. their contract looks like. And it must be very difficult for them to continue to be teammates with somebody when there's a natural resentment built up that everybody knows about. And you have to figure out a way to be a teammate with that person, to be a friend with that person, to have their back when you're playing next to them in the trenches. So hats off to Frank Clark and Chris Jones if they've really been able to navigate this thing successfully. And from the way both Jones and Clark have talked about it. They have, but I just can't imagine what that's like. It's like nothing I've ever been around before. And most, but most of us haven't been. I think worth noting here too, is if they want to be one of the best defensive lines of all time, right? You have Jones at that tackle position. You have Frank Clark. I imagine Derek Noddy is going to be in that mix too. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a vacancy there. We talked about the, the right guard position. Who's that left defensive end on what will be the greatest defensive line of all time. We have Alex Okafor coming back. He commented on Arrowhead Pride. He said he's the one coming for that comeback player of the year. But there's a candidate there in Tano Passanio. Mm -hmm. Tim Ward is interesting. Taco Charlton. How does Breland Speaks fit in there? You know, what about Colin Saunders? They, I just think that there's a, a spot there. Uh, and it's an edge spot, which is one of the more important spots in football. I know that there's a chance Chris Jones could be playing a little bit more edge this season. But that's a battle to watch, too. You want to be the best defensive line of all time? Who's going to be that fourth man on, on what will be your, your base defense? Right, and that is going to be a very interesting position. It's hard to even know who the um, presumed starter is at that other defensive end position. You can make an argument that it's Okafor, but it might be Passignon because he was the guy that stepped up at the end of the year and played well, uh, essentially, as the starter at the position. But Okafor would, in theory, be returning from injury. So you can't even really uh, write something in in a hard black pencil there because uh, both of them really kind of have a claim to the starting spot. And there's plenty of guys behind them who could challenge well, there you go. That wraps up all that we got for you guys today. I do want to note this for you. Coming on Friday, uh, John, I haven't even told you about this, but I was uh -oh. able to... Uh -oh. 
<laughs> I was able to score an interview with uh, Dr. Angela Rasmussen, who's a scientist at Columbia University who's been on the forefront of fighting COVID. And oh, so we're cool. going to get an interview with her. Uh, Gina Thomas, who we work with, was nice enough to set this up. And we'll just talk through, probably, I, I would guess I'll interview her for about 12 to 15 minutes for the pod channel, just about the protocols that go into to trying to get this season played. We will drop that for you sometime Friday. Please follow Arrowheadphones. That's John and myself, PG Swin. You can also get us at Arrowhead Pride on Twitter and wherever you get your social media. It's not on TikTok yet because I'm waiting to see how the band goes. So we'll... <laughs> We'll, we'll figure that out then. I'm not doing any TikTok videos. I'm just I'm just putting that out there right now. I'm not doing we'll, it. We'll see about that. We will see about that. Uh, please keep locked in at arrowheadpride.com. We will release this at about noon today. The opt-out deadline is about 3 p.m. Arrowhead time. We'll have your updates on opt-outs. Hopefully there's no more for your Kansas City Chiefs. And again, we should be back with you with two shows next week. Again, Sunday also too, I should tell you. Sometime Sunday will be another from the podium that we will drop. And then you got the Arrowhead Pride Lab on Monday. Plenty of Chiefs content. Subscribe, rate us, do all that jazz. We appreciate it. For John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts.